Quick heads up here at the top. Our guest today is talking about homophobia, and when he does that, he uses language that might offend you because the language is offensive. You've been warned. What's up, people? I'm Carl Nassib. I'm at my house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Last week, NFL defensive end Carl Nassib put out this video on Instagram. In it, he is holding the camera selfie style. You can see a bright green lawn behind him. And in the most understated way possible, he says, I just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. Um, I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. Um, I just think that representation and visibility are so important. This video is so understated that it might be hard to imagine why it's a big deal at all. To understand that, you need to know that no other active NFL player has said this out loud before, ever. But retired football players, they have come out. Did you see how handsome he is? I mean, he would attract anybody, you know what I mean? Dave Copay is one of those retired football players. He's 78 now. I was the first ball player in all sports to come out. And not just in, in the United States, but in the world. Dave loved watching this video from Carl Nassib. I'd be stupid if I didn't say I was envious. But I, I really know how the world has changed. Here's a couple of ways the world's changed. Back in the 70s, when Dave came out, his parents said they never wanted to see him again. He had to bat away questions like this one. Dave, what do you think was the, the hardest moments you had to face after admitting that you were a homosexual? This is an interview Dave did back in the early 80s with a gossip columnist named Rona Barrett. Well, I, I don't know if I even like the word admitting I'm a homosexual. I like the, you know, saying that I'm a homosexual. Ad, admit kind of um, implies guilt again. And I think that that's what's, what's so wrong in our society, you know. The, um, People were kind of blasting me in the newspapers, you know. It was really painful. Even if the world around him didn't understand his choice to come out, Dave says there was good stuff about being more open, like it was easier to find a date. You know, and I was in great shape, too. I mean, it wasn't look like, in those days, my, my body kind of looked like a statue of Michelangelo, you know. But being gay meant giving up on his dream of coaching football. He just couldn't get hired. Instead, he worked in the family flooring business. So even though it's been years since he broke his silence, Dave's got advice for Carl Nassib and players like him. Make sure you're prepared to accept a lot of uh, grief. The National Football League never helped me at all, you know. Today on the show, has the NFL changed enough to make room for an openly gay player? And if so, how? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
To understand what Carl Nassib's announcement means for the wider world of sports, I called up LZ Granderson. He's an ESPN radio host and a columnist for the LA Times, and he's gay. LZ says when he heard Carl's announcement, he started crying, called it a dream come true. I had been working at this intersection of sports and politics and this conversation of sexual orientation and gender identity in sports for decades. <laughs> I've been writing about this since the 90s. Uh, all of it geared towards, you know, this notion that one day a man in one of the big three sports would come out while still playing. And that came true this week. So it was like, I was happy for Carl. I was more than happy for Carl. I was thrilled for Carl. And then I thought about all the kids, this would help. And then I just thought about my own journey. And all of that joy um, just came out in the form of tears. Elsie says, even before Carl came out, he was already a notable player. Not because of his size or his play or his salary, but because... He was a walk-on to his college football team. Against all odds, he made it to the pros. Walk-ons don't make it to the NFL. Walk-ons don't make it to the team. So he's already a groundbreaking, me-against-the-world-and-I-achieved kind of guy. I I really love the fact that he reminds people that he's a walk-on because, um, you know, it's really easy to see his the contract and the numbers attached to it. You know, he's a, he's making millions. Uh, he was notable before. He's famous now. And everyone knows his name, or at least everyone in sports kind of know his name and know of his story. So it's easy to assume that he has it easier in some ways. And so when he talks about being a walk-on, he's also reminding people that Not only was he in the closet, but he was in the closet while fighting for his athletic career and athletic life. He wasn't recruited. He wasn't, you know, wooed. He had to fight and scrap. And so in a lot of ways, all of that blood, sweat and tears that got him to this place um, was put at risk by making this statement. Because you don't know how people are really going to respond. And to be quite honest with you, uh, we still don't know. You know, he made the statement during the offseason. There's still a preseason, a a camp. There's still the regular season. And who knows if the postseason is in the future for the Raiders. Hasn't been for a minute. But who knows what may happen and they end up in the postseason. So he still has a lot more things to kind of be the first at doing. Right. He came out, but he hasn't been the first openly gay player to play on Sunday yet. That's still to come. He hasn't been the first opening gay player to make a bad play that may have cost him the game. That's to come. He may not have won the game yet. That's to come. So he still has more layers that are going to be peeled in front of the world. And that's risky. Yeah. I mean, you're making this point that this is just the beginning. And he's making this statement as part of a league that historically has not been accepting to gay players. Like... One reporter noted after watching Nassib's video that he'd asked an NFL coach in 2013, like not that long ago, inside of a decade, he'd asked whether a gay player would ever be welcomed in the league. And the coach said, no, because nobody wants to shower with a gay person. And he didn't use the term gay person. He used a slur. 
Well, I mean, I wouldn't say no one wants to shower with us. I know a lot of guys <laughs> like showering with us. Um, listen, there will always be people who will say things, who would try to pass laws, who would try to use scripture. There will always be people that would try to find reasons to discount us, to discredit us, to dehumanize us, to try to erase us. That's not going to go away. Um, so it does not surprise me that in 2013 that a reporter found someone who was of that tribe. But can we talk about the sort of history of the NFL dealing with the sexuality of its players? Because it's rocky, and of course no other active players have come out, but retired players have and, and recruits have. The first NFL player to reveal he was gay was Dave Cope. Can you talk a little bit about how he did that and, and how it was received at the time? This was back in 1975, I think. Yep, yep, sure was. Um, first, I would say that the NFL has always dealt with sexuality. Why do you say that? Well, because when you look at the cheerleaders and the sidelines, when you know the stories of boys will be boys, when you see the stories of domestic violence, I mean, we have seen the NFL make a whole myriad, <laughs> like all sorts of statements about gender, about sex, about sexuality. But always from this very cis-het perspective, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and I feel that it's important that we point that out because there will be some that will say, hey, why do we care about who he sleeps with? It's not a big deal, blah, 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 blah. No, it's not. It is a big deal because straight guys make it a big deal all the time. Mm. Yeah, we, we always about, care who they sleep with. <laughs> we <laughs> always care who they sleep with. We always are showing shots of spouses and girlfriends in the stands when a scores, when a good play is made, and we like go point to them. So we talk about sexuality in the NFL all the time. The question is, why are these homophobes stopping gay people from talking about their sexuality? Mm. That's the that's the real question. And how is the NFL going to now navigate this conversation now that Carl has come out? Because they've tried to avoid this conversation, to your point, all the way back in the 70s with Dave Copay when he came out in his autobiography. How did the league react when he did that? They tried to pretend as if it wasn't there. Hmm. <laughs> Even though he also wrote about lovers he had that were in the NFL as well. They tried to pretend like it wasn't there. They tried to pretend like it wasn't there, even though Paul Tagliabue, who was a former commissioner in the NFL, had an openly gay son. They try to pretend like it's not there, even though the current commissioner, Roger Goodell, has an openly gay brother. So it's, it, the NFL has a long and well-documented history of sticking its collective head in the sand when it comes to uncomfortable or controversial issues. The one thing I will say that's a little bit different about uh, the way they handle Carl Nasip is that instead of being reactionary, which has always sort of been their mantra when it comes to social justice issues. They were proactive. They came out right away with a statement. Roger Goodell came out with a statement. The Raiders came out with a statement. The owner of the Raiders came out with a statement. They were more proactive in letting their fan base know where they stood, as opposed to some of the other examples I talked about, where they kind of hope it would just go away and then they issue apologies or make strong word statements when it doesn't go away. So Dave Copay was the first player to come out as gay. But he wasn't the last. The closest the league came to having an openly gay player on the field, that was back in 2014. That's when Michael Sam, an All-American from the University of Missouri, announced he was gay right before the NFL draft. 
In the final round, Sam got picked by the St. Louis Rams. He burst into tears, kissed his boyfriend on national television. But he never ended up playing in a regular season game. He retired from football a year later. It's impossible to know whether or how Sam's sexuality crash-landed his career. And Elsie says mistakes were made on both sides here. Like, Sam made this choice to sign a reality TV deal about his story before the season even started. Just because you're drafted doesn't mean you're going to make the team. And the later you get drafted, the less likely it is that you will make the team. So while I appreciate the history of him coming out before the NFL draft, and I appreciate the history of him actually being drafted as an openly gay player, I truly do. I'm also a sports journalist, and I know how hard it is to play on Sundays. And when you're, I believe he was the sixth round pick, um, or the seventh, it was either sixth or seventh. When you're that late in the draft, you already have so much, you know, that you have to fight through. And then you were the first openly gay player. So there's a whole other layer that you have to, you know, manage. But then you want to add in a reality TV show? Come on, man. (laughs) You're doing too much, man. You're doing too much. No wonder you said that the mental health aspect of it was too much because you were adding too much. What are the mistakes you think that the team made? Oh, man, what a mistake did the team make? <laughs> like, where do I start? <laughs> where do I start? So, you know, I think that when it comes to Michael, um, Sam, um, the team and its attempt to look for good players, which is the main purpose of the draft, but also being cognizant of the statement they were making, I don't think had enough um, mental health support for Michael. You know, I, I, I don't feel as if there was a good enough job by them making sure he had people to talk to who weren't interested in fame, who weren't mm-hmm. interested in the story, but who were only interested in him. Do you think he needed that mental health support because he'd come out and that had been such a big deal or because he was a smaller player and making a transition or... He needed that, he needed that mental health support because he was in the closet all those years. Yeah. I mean, being in the closet elves you up in a lot of ways. And when you think about some of the, the things he talked about with his upbringing, where he grew up, the attitudes towards gay people growing up, the fact that he didn't feel as if he uh, belonged. I mean, coming out is a mental health journey. Coming out in front of the cameras is a mental health journey very few people understand. Coming out in the cameras as a football player is a journey hardly anyone has ever understood. And so to try to deal with all of that without having someone in your ecosystem who only cares about your well-being and nothing else, it feels like an impossible task. When we come back, there are other NFL players still in the closet right now. LZ explains why. I'm curious whether you would compare the NFL's years-long struggle 
with closed-mindedness when it comes to sexuality to other struggles the league has had, like with race. Like I read one sports writer who talked about Dave Cope, that first NFL player mm-hmm. to come out, and how kind of lonely he seemed and how he was abandoned a bit by the league. Mm-hmm. And compared yep. that experience to Colin Kaepernick, who'd been a darling of the league until he started kneeling. And I wonder if you would put those two things together as well. Yeah, you know, it's, it's sort of what I, I, I've talked about before, which is their, being the NFL that is, their normal response to controversy is to be silent and hope it goes away. And they only come to the table when there's nowhere else to run and there's nowhere else to hide. And it doesn't matter what kind of controversy. And it does not matter what kind of controversy. Exactly. They believe that the best strategy from a publicity, PR, branding perspective is to wait until it blows over. And oh, by the way, it's a very successful strategy Hmm. monetarily. Monetarily. It's a very successful strategy. Why do I say this? Because it still is the number one sport in the country. It, their games are still the most watched events on television. The Super Bowl still, you know, attracts like 100 million people um, viewing. This is not to say the NFL can't change its stance. They do that with the right amount of public pressure. I mean, right now, if you look at them, you know, you would believe that, you know, Roger Goodell was kneeling first. And fighting for for black lives, <laughs> the way the way they talk about it now. But obviously, we know how that story began, right? So they don't lead in this space. But once they eventually are getting there, kicking and dragging and screaming and whatnot, um, they do lend resources. I mean, they donated, you know, tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars now um, since Kaepernick had you know began his protest um, to causes that Kaepernick you know cared about. Now, the fact that they tried to make these donations while pretending as if it was their idea and not acknowledge the fact that they ran Kaepernick out of uh, out of the league, that's just how the NFL is. That's continuing to want to move on, put their head in the sand, certainly not address uh, in a real significant way um, their own infractions. They just want to pick up where the story is today and act as if they've always been there. Yeah, I noticed that on social media they were pushing out a picture of Dave Copay. And Girl, listen, <laughs> they don't stop. And I was just like, wow, okay. If you want, you want to help out Dave Copay, you, 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 you really want to celebrate the achievements and what Dave Copay did, you know, bravely back in the 70s, then why don't you name an award in his honor and talk specifically as to why that award is there? Or be more proactive in terms of addressing what we're witnessing right now from a legislative perspective. Anybody can tweet a picture of Dave Copay. You're the NFL. You actually have real power. So you're sitting back letting more than 250 anti-LGBTQ bills get, you know, introduced around the country and you don't say a word, but you want to put up Dave Copay on Pride Month and act like you're down for the cause. Man, if y'all don't cut that shit out, like... (laughs) Like what I need, what 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 I need from you in order to really believe that you're an ally and not just an advertiser is to fight with us in the trenches. What we need is for you to have a strong statement when the Supreme Court says it's okay to discriminate against same-sex couples, which is what they did last month. That's what we need. We got the pictures of Dave Copay. What we need is your muscle. 
Is the reason the NFL is like this, this kind of lagging indicator for the rest of the country, (laughs) is the reason it's like this really just all about the money? I mean, I think some people would say, oh, it's the macho culture. But would you say no to that? I would say it's a combination of things. You know, there is definitely the toxic masculinity that all professional sports and collegiate sports and high school sports and sometimes even peewee breeds. You know, you throw like a girl, you hit like a girl, blah, 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 man up, you know, don't cry. Like these are lessons that are unfortunately taught through the prism of sports at a very, very, very young age. And so I'm not going to say that it strictly is the NFL. This is a toxic element of sports that we are working very hard to try to get rid of because it doesn't benefit anyone. I know this is everywhere, but is this a particular problem in the NFL? Like some folks have have singled out the fact that the NFL has the most hierarchical and militaristic of structures and that that might be contributing to why it's taken so long to have an active player simply say they're gay. I would say that what makes the NFL unique in this space isn't the um, militaristic approach to the game. It really was the structure of the contracts. Hmm. There was no security. When you have a five-year contract, but you can be cut the next year, you don't have a five-year contract. So part of the, the calculus in terms of NFL players or just professional athletes in general coming out is how does this impact my career? How does this impact my ability to earn money and to grow my own brand and my own enterprise? And in the NFL, because the contracts weren't guaranteed, um, you really risk just being cut and losing all of that money, losing all of that earning potential. I mean, go back to, we've been talking about Kaepernick. Look what happened to Colin Kaepernick's career. Wasn't resigned. Wasn't able to continue on in his career, his chosen profession, the thing that he dreamed about his whole life and trained for his whole life. He wasn't able to go on because the owners, whether they did it collectively or as individuals, the reality is the league decided that a starting quarterback in the NFL uh, that led his team to the Super Bowl all of a sudden wasn't worthy of being in the league anymore. And they try to tell us it was because of his playing, like we're some damn fools. So when you're a closeted NFL player and you see something like that, hell yeah, it makes you nervous because you don't want to lose your career either. This is your dream. And so I would say that the the structure of the contracts and compensation played a bigger role and why the NFL struggles in this space more so than its approach to coaching or structure of the teams. Hmm. Was it different for Nassib? Like you, you alluded to a five-year contract he has. Like had, had he locked something down before he made this announcement? Well, I, I think, the, the one, he had the contract in hand, to your point, before he made the announcement. So now if the Raiders decide they're going to cut him, it looks real suspicious. Colin Kaepernick started his protest during his final year. So he did not have a contract in hand the following season, and no one offered him one. Um, With Carl, he has a contract in place. Now, it's going to be really difficult to for the Raiders or the NFL to run Carl out of the league today. 
based on the fact that he's in the league, unlike Michael Sam, who never played on Sundays, Carl has. Um, he has a contract in hand, unlike um, Colin Kaepernick. And on top of that, the culture in America has changed. And we're watching a lot more attentively. We have more allies. And it's going to be hard for them to tell us that Carl can't play anymore after he came out when he was playing just fine when he was in the closet. And we should say the reaction to his coming out, it's been overwhelmingly positive so far. I love this fact that in the 24 hours since Carl Nassib became the first active NFL player to come out as gay, the Raiders defensive ends, his his jersey was the top selling item across mm-hmm. the league. It was it's a statement it just means that the public is making a choice and literally voting with their dollars. And God knows the NFL respects that. Yeah, they definitely respect the money, but um I would say that we are off to a good start, but this is certainly not the entire story. I know for a fact that there's a lot about the NFL that has changed for the better as it pertains to LGBTQ people and the conversation of equality and participation in professional sports. NFL has changed a lot for the better. But what we don't know is how much has the NFL fan changed. What we don't know is how advertisers are going to really feel about this. You know, they're, I'm sure that they want to, you know, jump full on and, you know, do some, some rainbow T-shirts and say, yay, gay NFL player, hurrah. But what are they going to do when, you know, people start to organize and say this isn't right? So it's fantastic that they tweeted and hashtag Carl's name and said that we're here for you. But are they here for us is the question. Are they here for the community of which Carl has said that he's a part of now? And we don't know that yet. What happens if, you know, the word faggot is screamed in a football stadium? Are they going to usher that homophobic person out of the building? Are they going to ignore them? Are they going to support the staff that's being asked to usher these people out? You know, remember, a lot of these people are making very, very little money and they're ushering and they are there to help make the experience enjoyable for everyone. But when these slurs start, you know, flying around and there's drinking happening, how comfortable are they going to be to enforce these rules or these policies. And is the NFL prepared to help undergird these individuals so that they do feel comfortable in, you know, enforcing these rules? So that's sort of work to do, in, 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 in my opinion, in regards to how the NFL handles this news. Um, the initial response has been perfect, but now comes the work. So don't equate social media, uh, you know, positive reinforcement with actual tangible policies or cultural changes. That is still a work in progress. That is something we still need to wait to see. I'm sure there are more gay NFL players we just don't know about. Yes, there are. I can confirm that for you. (laughs) (laughs) 
and you clearly know about them. Yes. When you're talking to the players you know who are gay but are closeted, do how do you do you ever encourage them to come out or say like here's how I think you could do it, or do you see your role as more straight listener? Well, it's hard for me to be a straight listener. I could be a gay listener. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I would say that uh, my approach has always been talking about the reasons why I came out and how that benefited my life and how that has benefited the lives of some other people that I know and how um, it could benefit their own lives. And one of my running jokes with some of them, I don't, I don't do this joke as much anymore, but prior to like Tinder and Grindr and, you know, those phone apps for dating and hookups, mm-hmm. I used to tell them that, listen, your heterosexual counterparts right now are landing in cities, hitting strip clubs and getting laid every single moment they possibly can. And you're <laughs> in your hotel room eating, you know, check, take you know, out. <laughs> take out and, you know, Hoping no one notices you in your room watching Love Simon or something. Like, <laughs> like, why are you letting them enjoy this time of their lives while you're in your room living in fear? What do they say when you say that? I mean, they laugh. I'm sure. Well, they. I mean, they laugh. We all laugh, you know, and and stuff like that. Because it, because what I'm trying to do is bring some levity to it as well. But I am also serious too. I mean, I've I've hung out with tons of straight players, particularly in the NFL, and women are just throwing themselves at them, you know, staring from across the room, you know. And you're looking at those guys, you know, like, this could be you, friend. Seriously. I'm like going, seriously, dog, if you go to the Abbey right now, trust, life will be good for you. (laughs) (laughs) But you stay here right now, you you watch Love, Simon, and, you know. (laughs) Simon came out... Simon came out, dog. <laughs> That's at the end of the day. Simon came out. Victor, too. LZ, this has been such a generous conversation. Thank you for having it. Oh, thank you so much, Mary, for having me. I'm super duper uber excited. LZ Granderson is an ESPN radio host and a columnist for the LA Times. He's also the host of his own podcast, ABC News' Life Out Loud with LZ Granderson. Check it out. And that is our show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Elena Schwartz, Daniel Hewitt, Carmel Del Shad, and Davis Land. Extra special thanks to Davis today for tracking down Dave Cope and interviewing him while Dave was in the middle of a move to Los Angeles. We get big boss advice and guidance from Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I am Mary Harris. I will catch you back in this feed tomorrow. Tomorrow.